0: Welcome back to Conscious Founders. I'm your host Xander Ford. Today I talked with Nicole Bradford who is co-founder of TransTech Conference and founder of the Willow Group. As organizer for the TransTech Conference, Nicole is in an incredibly unique position to really get a look at and meet all of the creators of these upcoming technologies as well as meet with Funders who are interested in getting these companies off the ground because there is becoming such a strong demand for healing technology that is both consumer-based and for the workplace. Our conversation topics ranged from philosophy to technology to corporate structure and how we can get these technologies in the hands of more and more people. I really loved our conversation. Nicole has such a sharp mind, and she's really a go-getter. She got her MBA from uh, Wharton School of Business. She's had quite a diverse and full career in the gaming industry, and now she is 1,000, I'd say 10,000% focused on getting these technologies deployed into the hands of more and more humans for the purpose of healing the planet. So without further ado, please enjoy this highly informative conversation with Nicole. Well, hi, Nicole. So great of you to join us. Thank you so much.
1: Hi, Sander. <laughs>
0: Nicole, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, so I'm the, um, I'm the co-founder of the Transformative Technology Conference and Lab And um, my year one, it was um, Dr. Jeffrey Martin, Mikey Siegel, and myself. And then for the last two years, because we're on year three, uh, it's been Jeffrey and myself because uh, Mikey wanted to focus on consciousness hacking. And so um, for a little bit of intro about myself, you know, like a lot of people who come to this space, I was doing something completely different. And then I had a an experience that I could not deny. So um, prior to this, I was in video games and I ran World of Warcraft. China was my last position. Before that, yeah, I ran operations for that. And then before that, I was in global corporate strategy for Vivendi Games. And I worked on the Activision acquisition by Vivendi, which was an $18 billion deal. Before that, I was in marketing video game marketing at Disney interactive. And before that I was in business school, I went to the warden school of business. And before that it, I was in fashion licensing. And then while I was in college, I put myself through college doing nonprofit fundraising and development for museums, women's economic development funds, and a, a, a medical foundation. So a very business orientation, but also you know, the, you know, very interested in the world. Like I never worked on hardcore shooters or anything like that. I didn't make that choice to do that. Um, I did work a little bit on leisure suit, Larry, which is probably, you know, <laughs> it'll probably show up in my karmic field, but, uh, <laughs> 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 it was short. It was brief. I think I had that product for three months before it got moved to someone else. Oh, uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, Um, so I was living in China and I wanted to learn to meditate because I thought all the time and I was looking for a way to slow my thinking. And I heard that, I heard that meditation helped with that. And I tried a few things, but ultimately some friends had gone to a Vipassana retreat center in Southern Japan. And so... And they said the food was good. So I thought, oh, I'll go over there. And they ended up getting way more than I anticipated. I actually got an awakening there um, and, and became incredibly curious with the human mind and what happened to me and human psychology and also really how to facilitate other people having this kind of experience. Because my background's in marketing and scale and all of those things, I thought, well, gosh, not everybody is going to go to a retreat center. Not everyone can take ten days off. Not everyone's going to be okay with um, the level of of um, philosophy. And you know, even though you know Buddhism is not a religion in the way that people typically think of monotheistic situations, it is a- approached religiously by many people. Um, and so I was like, how do we have something? How do we have a way to get meditation, mind training to the world at scale? And so I sort of started out there. And then as I got into it, I thought, well, not everybody's going to meditate. So what are the benefits of meditation and the benefits of meditation appeared to be, an increase in self-awareness and an increase in the ability to connect um, because of the decrease in noise in both cases inside one's own head. And then the third part was as I really got into looking at the space and working with Jeffrey to define the space and seeing the products that are out there and making the decision as a team what's in, what's out. You know, really like what's in, what's out. It expanded to the way that we define it today, which is mental health, emotional well-being, and human thriving mm. is what transformative technology is. And up underneath that umbrella, there's people who are doing things with different uh, terminology. So I think that conscious hacking fits in, fits in there. Um, there's a whole group out of the U.K. that's doing Joy Tech. Um, There's a group out of uh, Israel that's thinking of it as neural wellness. And so everyone's kind of using these words. Uh, Linda Stone, who's on the TT200 list as an influencer, she calls it essential self. Um, And so there's lots of words. I don't think we've sort of landed on the word that a consumer would use for it. And I think if we're successful... There won't ever be a consumer word for it. It will just be integrated into everything, uh, and that—that that I think would would mean a win
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, if we don't end up having a word for it. Um,
0: I really love I really love that um, definition of so in, in Chinese medicine, which I study a bit. Their definition, one of their definitions of health, is um, adaptability. So how do we how how adaptable is the organism to any new environment or a new situation and so Mm -hmm. one of the questions I had for you today was um, how do you think about health and what it means to be whole and Mm -hmm. it sounds like we're we were talking about that from an other perspective but at a at a personal level what does it mean to you to be whole what are the components of of being whole and healthy and um, I think that that we can easily extrapolate out to other members of this society and, and others. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think for health and wholeness and what it means to me personally, you know, there's a, there's the mental component, then there's the emotional component and there's the physical component as well. And that's just, I think the baseline. So I guess on one level, it looks very much like the hierarchy of needs, ensuring that self-transcendence is included on the version of the triangle that someone is looking at. So, you know, on every level, having the, the piece below it in there, You know, one of the things that you might have heard me talk about before, but, you know, many people, probably all of your audience knows it, but many people don't know that self-transcendence sits on top of self-actualization, So after you've developed this, you know, power of definition, because if you're self actualized, then you at least have a method of meaning making that's working for you to a point. And then on the other side of that, having realizing that the self that you actualized is no longer needed. And then that really lines up to the contemplative traditions. So everybody's working on the same thing. And so for for me, my definition of health is those things. Um, I recently have been thinking a little bit about the. Um, so you you probably know that we do the Finders course, and what I love about the Finders course is if you think about from a consumer standpoint how people find what's right for them, the that process is called search and discovery, and then you know then the third step in that process in things like this, I think is fit. So, um, you know, across the board, the human development intermodalities, search and discovery is a hot mess. It is so hard. You have to be in the right networks to get the, like, it's like you, you have to be in the right networks just to find out about half the stuff. And if you find out about it, it doesn't mean that it's the right thing for you. It's like, for example, with meditation, you know, because one person does really well with mantras, deciding that mantras is your thing and doing it is a little bit like taking someone else's medication when you come to visit them for Thanksgiving, you know, just like picking a medicine bottle and stuffing it in your mouth. Like it's that random.
0: Um, it reminds and, me <laughs> of, of uh, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. As, as, you know, as we we both sounds like we're both seekers of human knowledge and human uh, experience. And in Joseph Campbell's um, hero's journey, the hero has to go out and find the gift. Right, their their gift out in the world. They have to leave their tribe, find their gift, and then bring it back. Bring that wisdom, or gift, or knowledge, whatever it is back to the tribe and share it with the tribe. And in some ways the search and discovery is a process of seeking out what the gift is. and oh, bringing it Oh, you back. broke. You...
1: Yeah, I, I hear you. But also I, I disagree with you a little bit in yeah. that, in all of those hero stories, the hero knows what he's looking for. Mm. He just has to go through a bunch of crap to get through it. <laughs> but it's not like, but it's not like, you where the situation we're in socially is that the heroes don't even know what they're looking for. Mm. You know, in the hero's journey, the witch says, go get the chalice, (laughs) you know? And so then the hero has to go get the chalice or go kill the dragon or whatever it is. They know what they're looking for. But you know, where we are now is that people have no idea which gift is going to be their gift Mm. in terms of like, in order to give them a, a, in order to raise them up to another level, that then unlocks, um, you know, another part of themselves, so they can actually find their inner gift. Because there's the there's the gift of the door, and then there's the inner gift of what your contribution is, and the doors are, you know, mental, physical, emotional. The gift of those doors that then you open that and then you get a different reality Mm -hmm. and so the side of like you know like the finder's course um and i'm only using it as a point of departure this is
0: great i was going to ask you about the finder's course anyway maybe you can explain what it is to to our listeners so that they they have a sense of of what it is and then how it could either help them or they could tell someone else about it and and what, cool. its purpose,
1: what its purpose? What purpose is? Yeah. Cool. I'll I'll do that, and then that sort of ties into if any of your listeners are working on some of the pieces that I would that I would like to see in the world. Um, so what the Finder's course does is it helps with search, discovery, and fit. So it's um, twenty six different meditation and positive psychology techniques. Over an 18-week time period, um, and it's and you go through them. It's you know I I call it running the gauntlet. You know, so it's like every week we change the cocktail, we change the mix of the meditation techniques. It is a it is a overwhelming experience in the sense that it is incredibly intense. It's okay for beginners, but it's not for dabblers. Like if you are not like if you're not ready to go, don't bother. Like, but if you're ready to go, and if you want an awakening, like a first awakening, it, we have a really high percentage of getting people to that place. Um, and but what we do is what the what the what the goal of the course is is to expose people to quite a few techniques in the big families of meditation, so that they then can can feel what works for them, so that then they can go off and do whatever it is they want. So we ask. So we don't do any religion, philosophy, history, dogma, none of that. It's like a clean instrument. We teach it very mechanistically. We won't answer questions that are related to theology, um, you know, or philosophy. So if someone's like, how does this compare to the ninefold path? It's like, we're not going to talk about, I mean, the eightfold path. We're not going to talk about that. You know, um, go find a religious scholar or go talk to your teacher This is something completely different. This is just so you can feel it all um, because a lot of people are, you know, what's happening is there's a lot of taking other people's medication. There's a lot of people who are, they read a book and they, you know, they read a book and, or they have a friend or, you know, they see something in a movie and then they try that technique and it doesn't work for them. And so then they say it doesn't work for them. So like then the fastest, cheapest, easiest way to have an awakening, they miss out on. Or um, it doesn't work for them and they keep doing it, which I don't know which is worse. (laughs) And so, you know, the so the finders course is about solving search, discovery and fit. And then it's stacked in a way where it's not just like a poo poo platter, buffet it's actually like stacked to um create higher levels of awareness and people take the course in groups of six um and that's because there's it's not just for you know support and friendship um that's not actually why we started it that way but it's become that but it's they take it in groups of six because there are some techniques that are didactic so you need pairs Uh, And then there's some techniques that are actually group techniques. And so it's actually a group meditation Uh, that has turned out to be, you know, one of the what we, what we, what we did for um, a purpose ended up becoming a feature. There are people who two years out still meet with their group every week and they're not in the class anymore, but they, you know, they have these, these friends in awakening um and without we don't organize any of it they're self-organizing which i think is really beautiful mm. but you know it's the search discovery and fit process um i think that there should be something like that that's like a fast overview for all the major modalities for achieving well-being and health so there's certainly you know there's a lot of people i don't have anything to do with with plant that's not my thing um but I I wish someone would do it for plant. Um, I'll probably do it for tech um, because I'm really well positioned to do it for the technologies you can use. Um, Someone needs to do it for the emotional paths. Um, Like I, I am a huge fan of the Hoffman process. Amazing, amazing work. Um, But you have to be in the right network to find out about the Hoffman process because since they aren't culty, they don't market, which means you have to know the right people to get there. And while I appreciate, you know, sentiment where people are like, oh, when it's right for you, you find it. um, That does not reflect the urgency that faces mankind.
0: Yeah, that's a great segue into that. The statement of the urgency that faces mankind. How do you see all of the work you're doing? It sounds like Um, from a talk I heard you give that most of the work you're doing is fueled from that sense of urgency that either we're going to have this future dystopia or future potentially utopia where uh, individuals are experiencing states of joy, happiness, abundance and kindness which can ripple out or in the uh, opposite end of the spectrum fear, uh, scarcity, etc. And so... Mm. And so it sounds like you had a, your own insights as to what that um, those two futures and their rather binary view of things, but some combination of the two is is potentially more realistic but what what uh, motivated you and motivates you um, to distribute this information and these techniques and tools at scale is it mm-hmm. is it something like yeah?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, I think, I think all the people of good heart need to have a sense of urgency. Um, And I believe that we have roughly 15 years to have the groundwork that leads us toward like right now we are moving towards either Starfleet or Hunger Games. Like that is what's happening. Starfleet or Hunger Games for our children and our children's children is happening right now, and so the people who are um, the people who are um, aggressively territorial about the dominance or preference of only one-to-one human interaction mm-hmm. lack a sense of urgency. So, for me, the way I think of the world is that I think that. What will happen is we will all have a toolkit. And in that toolkit there will be one to one interactions, there will be technology, there will be there'll be a mix of things because at different things in your different points in your life, you need different things. It's not going to be all tech or all people. And so this belief that only humans can help humans is an incredibly short-sighted belief that does not reflect the urgency of the situation that we're in. And so many people, when they reflect on technology, they think that tech is the problem, that tech is causing all of this. And honestly, like the number of people that I talk to um, who are, who have this sort of fantasy about what the past was like, oh, in the old days and this and that. Well, I'll tell you what, as a woman and a woman of color, I'm not interested in the old days. The old days sucked for me, you know, death and childbirth, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, like my rights as a person, like like the old days I have no interest in and it was never good for me mm-hmm. unless you go all the way back to some sort of African, you know, matriarchal society and there was still a lot of death and childbirth as well as predators. So like the future is the place that we're going and we have a, a period of time and I'm actually really optimistic. You know, I'm incredibly optimistic because most of the, you know, if you look at the technologies and the way that we've used social media or the parts of ourselves that we've amplified, for the most part, people have amplified, you know, social Darwinism or or competition. They've amplified competition, whether it's like, you know, presenting to the Joneses or, you know, all the fakeness that people have in social media about the life that they are pretending to have. But the other thing that people forget is that everybody who is here today, everyone who is alive today, their ancestors were outstanding at collaboration and altruism and helping one another. Because it's only been in the last 300 years, probably, you know, you could say 500 to 200 years, that a solo human could
0: survive. So, that, I want to give some pause for that point because it's it's really it really defines our culture, our our culture meaning the western world that seems to be kind of bleaching a lot of the other cultures <laughs> that are um uh, and their traditions and a lot of these other cultures are um much older than our our new american culture. I'll just say american mm-hmm. or um uh for simplicity and these older cultures a lot of them still have their traditions intact and a lot of those traditions are built around the family unit and tribe and my own personal experience I I took the cultural um, storyline from the US and thought oh make a bunch of money go be then I can be fully independent and alone And what I realized is, in that process, is that alone kind of actually sucks.
1: Totally sucks. Yeah, and and
0: like isolation is what animals do when they're wounded, you know, they get hurt, they go in the cave and they like want to hide. And it's really, I think, detrimental to the being, the human being, to be put in that situation and uh, that's my, you know, part of my personal experience has been coming to understand that community And, um, the interaction and helping and serving others is really what brings me a lot of joy. One of the things I still love my alone time, don't get me wrong, but, uh, to be able to, to, to thrive, we need a community. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I agree. I mean, the, but it's also, it's, you know, the thing about, you know, evolution to date is that it took a really long time. And so, that part of us um, that is, you know, that developed over time, there's a huge part of how human beings are wired that is still there because if your ancestors didn't have it, they're dead. Like someone ate them. (laughs) So, you know, one of the things that transformative technology, conscious hacking, joy tech, neural wellness Like one of the potentials is that, you know, as you think about this delta between Starfleet and Hunger Games. And by the way, it's not a binary utopia dystopia because there are, you know, Starfleet is where the humans like get their act together. Uh, But there are still like, you know, you always have a theme line of like a a human who's behaving badly, but it's just not everybody, you know. And then in Hunger Games, they win because it's not everyone behaving badly, you know, it works out. So that's not a, you know, a a, a, a perfectly hell, perfectly heaven, but it's like, where, you know, where is the average? Where is the mean?
0: Can you paint us a picture of how um, transformative technology or whatever the semantics we want to use for the combination of resources and, and technologies that you're seeing in the market, how those will evolve and integrate with the global society?
1: Well, I mean, specifically some of the things I'm looking for is I think there's a lot of potential in technologies that actually amplify our love and desire of collaboration, community, and um, altruism, but deeply, deeply, not at a surface level. So You know, I I didn't go to uh, Mikey's retreat at Esalen, um, but I'm really interested in the results um, where for your read for your listeners, what they did is they had a three day retreat and everybody was hooked up to bio readers. So heart rate variability and a bunch of other things individually and then also collectively um, so that as they were meditating in a circle together, they could tell when they were in coherence. And it wasn't a tiny event. You know, HeartMath's been doing a bunch of stuff like this for a long time, but it was more bio signals than HeartMath does over three or four days um, so that they could actually see how they were getting better and better at, at merging. Um, and then, you know, the I'm a big fan and friend of Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler who just did uh, Stealing Fire. And before that, you know, Stephen's been obsessed for a really long time about flow, and one of the things that they talk about in their interviews with special forces is this point and you know and the military completely believes in this moment that a unit becomes one where they just completely become one um and you know just like you can talk to a mother about you know intuition and she knows exactly what you're talking about, even though it's not proven um you know these people who one would think are you know the most um you know, analytical, absolutely say that the merge is real. And so, you know, technologies that that make that not an anomaly, make it not um, not an anomaly, not something that we get to by chance, but that at any time two people can choose to create that level of intimacy between themselves, you know, in proximity or at distance, you know, that would be something. And, and it isn't unfeasible that that, you know, given how fast the, the exponential technologies pour on, like what I've seen in emotion recognition in the last three years, shocking, shocking. And so, you know, it isn't inconceivable that we could have something like that. So it's like, you know, what I'm looking for, for the community uh, and from the community um, You know, and for your listeners, because I imagine there's quite a lot of people like you who are tech savvy, super smart, um, ridiculously good looking. No, <laughs> just kidding. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, blushing. <laughs> um, you know, but a people of good heart and ability, you know, I'm looking for people using technology to amplify our other characteristics. Should be possible. I'm looking for people who are willing to create um, finders course survey courses in the other modalities, you know, because like right now in some of these things, like people are running around trying a bunch of stuff and there's no structure or framework to their experimentation, uh, which is fine. You know, that's 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 fun. But in terms of time, it's not efficient.
0: You covered so much in the in the last I don't know couple of minutes there. I just wanted to to share with you some of my thoughts. On,
1: yes. On, on that. Yeah. I, um, I know. I'm like I'm
0: like a. It's, it's like, so great. Your your depth and breadth of knowledge <laughs> is fantastic. And and I could I mean honestly I feel like I could talk with you all day long about this stuff. Uh, on the the front of like where is this going? You talked about really the convergence of technology with human consciousness and that is um, I know that you studied at Singularity University and 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 the concept of singularity for our listeners who might not know is that uh, eventually human consciousness like your thoughts will be basically uploadable into the cloud for lack of a better metaphor and that we can really um, choose how we interface with um each other potentially in a more um distributed way. So so broader broaden the context basically plugging into the matrix as it were. And and so that is a whole other uh, a mindset such a huge paradigm shift for a lot of people that uh we don't need to go that that far in in our conversation but what are what do we have today? And what we have today is the I call us the human animal is, is a term that, that I like to think of myself, the the imperfect human animal, because we're this this human you know mind, which is just so spectacular, in its capacities for prediction and for analysis, and we invented time for goodness' sakes, right, so that we could peer into the future. And then we have the, this animal body, which is much, much, much older, this sweet animal body and the emotional content that, that gets mm, the older wiring, shall we say, of the, the animal responses. So as we're um, moving into merging this, this really powerful brain that created all these wonderful technologies, and I feel like in a lot of ways, the animal, the animal part of the human is, is the emotional body and being is kind of trying to play and catch up a little bit with mm-hmm. some of the pressures that our technologies are, and including the technologies that help us uh, remove ourselves from others. And, and mm-hmm. uh, like you were talking about in the last three to 500 years, it's is the first time that we've been able to technically live alone for extended periods of time and uh so as we're moving forward into this kind of reconvergence of okay we have all these amazing tools that are at our um use so how do we then take those tools and point them back at the human animal and get the get the human to be embodied again and to be connected again with other humans and to feel safe and secure because safety and security are the foundation for, um, for transcendence of, of any kind of fear and which leads to, from my experience, leads to greater states of happiness and connectedness. So, circling back to, um, from my ramble back to your very clear understanding of what the technology is and the, uh, the future landscape of how this technology is going to um, integrate with our future, our current and our future societies. It sounds like we've got the emotional component, the mental component, and the physical component um, if we're going to use more of a reductionist model of seeing things.
1: Yeah, I would say, uh, so, so three quick things, and I promise I'll be brief, because I know it's like you ask me a question and I'm like, off to the races. And I love someone said it. it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was. Inter- someone interviewed me. They were like, "You're the easiest interview ever." <laughs> it's just like you just ask the question, go. <laughs> like, no, no. Um, so a couple of things. Um, we know nothing. Uh, we know so little. I don't know if you saw last week, as there was a, um, a note that came out in several of the science journals where it's possible that the egg chooses the sperm in humans it is so in in like the statistical well i won't get into it but uh everybody who's interested go and look it's possible that the egg chooses the entire like everything that we've ever been taught in biology is that the egg just sort of like lays their docile and then this you know and then this the first the first one who wins the race which is a very competitive orientation gets in but now they think that the human egg might choose so it's like we know nothing about biology. The second part is, yes, I did go to Singularity University, and where I differ a bit is that I'm not a transhumanist. I'm not interested in uploading my brain into a computer. I am interested in enhancement. Um, I'm interested in expanding the mental and emotional capacity of humans, and I'm interested in the, the – like we haven't gotten anywhere near the – capacity of our current vehicles. Like we haven't even begun to max out our mental capacity. We haven't even begun to really like, you know, really push into what our emotional capacity can be, our physical capacity. You know, it's like like this this thing, the these bodies that we have, um, on every level, we have not even begun to max that out. And so I'm really interested in that. Um, and so you know a friend of mine actually said the other day he said, I'm not transhuman, I'm not into transhumanism. I'm into ultrahumanism. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that probably is a, a good description of where I am at. Um, and so you know, I think that from that standpoint all the pieces of technology, um, that you, you know, surface back, all of them have applications and we should be pushing on all of them um, at the, at the same time.
0: Awesome. It feels like we've covered a lot of philosophical questions. And I know that I do have a segment of my um, listenership that is really interested in the gear, you know, like the technology, because it's, 'Cause we're we're a fairly product focused uh culture and we're also I think a lot of humans do well when they can hold something in their hands and like
1: in their paws. See, you know, <laughs> in our paws and
0: get our get our claws into it and and feel um you know, associate a physical object with an experience. Um and so sometimes that's helpful, you know. That's I think why a lot of people have altar spaces or um, you know, talismans and Uh, various, various tools that are also useful for the human condition. So, but a lot of this technology actually interfaces with uh, the sensory capacities of humans. So we've got virtual reality, which interfaces with our visual cortex. And then the oldest virtual reality that I'm aware of, um, in, in as far as electrically powered, is like our headphones, where we can pop our music in and and change our, our soundscape or or listen to a meditation. And then we have brainwave monitoring, transcranial stimulation, all these things that sort of snap onto and into and peripheralize our, our human body uh, to have different sensory experiences. So what are some of the... Um, my personal interest and focus is in how virtual reality can impact uh, virtual reality being the goggles right now that we strap on and change our visual and auditory environment, how those can impact um, humans who might be experiencing PTSD or some form of just total, you know, their their bodies are starting to give out because their minds are in lock or their emotions are, are spinning wild and... Um, to a point where they're, they're really are suffering a lot. So, what are your some of your your um, if you can give an overview for our listeners as to what some of the technologies are out there that are up and coming and really mm-hmm. interesting? Since you have such a unique perch to to see all these technologies.
1: Well, I love I I'm completely in love with the new products from Interaxon, the glasses. Um, so they have they've taken their entire Muse. EEG kit and have moved it into a pair of glasses that could be prescription glasses. And I love that because, you know, we're not going to have, um, you know, we like a lot of this stuff is going to go into the background. Um, so it's going to be background software in our houses, in our cars. Um, you know, the ability to pick up like I've, I've, been looking at a lot of remote sensing biodata or remote sensors of biodata. So you can get um, lots of signals not on the skin with sensors that are proximate but not on the skin. That is huge that you could pick up um, different biosignals without having to be on the skin. So, you know, one of the people I talk about a lot is Mingser Po at MIT, who is able to do emotion recognition. Uh, not on the skin. He also uh, developed SANO. Uh, no, now it's called Cardio. They changed the name. But it's heart rate variability off the camera phone. You just put your finger on the camera phone, and he was one of the first to do that. And so, um, you know, the, the ability to pick up biodata is going to go into the background. Um, the sensors are going to consolidate into objects that we use a lot. Um, So we're going to have a pair of glasses uh, or eventually a contact. We're going to have, depending on our taste, a piece of jewelry or a watch um, that, you know, has everything in it. Um, And, uh, you know, and then our houses and our environments will be smart uh, and they'll be able to pick up all of that. And then that will consolidate into an image or a profile uh, you know a mental, emotional, physical, digital selfie of who we are, and um, assuming and, and working towards getting the proper privacy and ethics in place, those selfies will be incredibly useful to us in terms of looping back to the very beginning of the conversation, increasing our level of self-awareness, increasing our ability to connect with one another, You know, especially if the, you know, the product people of good heart who listen to your podcast start to think about how we use technology to amplify these other aspects of our nature, um, then, you know, that coming together would be really great product. So I love the, I love the, the glasses for what they represent. Um, I, one of the speakers that we had at the conference was Iris, uh, which is doing emotion recognition. I I love that. They're going into automotive. They're going into automotive because it's an OEM opportunity. You know, it's like, how do you have your product at scale Mm -hmm. fast? Um, Because as the cars, as we stop driving these cars, they're going to become a fourth space. So a first space is your house. Second space is your job or school. Third space is your community activity. It might be your gym, your yoga studio, whatever. um, Suddenly, if you don't have to drive that car, and the seats don't all have to be facing forward. Then it could be used for anything. It could be used for neuro training. It can be used for, you know, communicating. Uh, it can be used for playing, learning. Um, so the, so. So I like Iris, which is a company today for what it represents for tomorrow. Um, I really like. I love the Aura Ring. Um, because it just gives really great sleep. And if you can't sleep, I mean, it gives great sleep. Um, it's a great sleep tracker because then you can also figure out what's causing you not to sleep. And if you can't sleep, you are screwed across the board. There's no well-being if you can't sleep, no matter how smart or talented you are. Um, and so I really love that ring. And they're actually one of the best you know, uh, trackers out there. Um, I'm, I am really interested in, I'm interested in the people who are pulling together programmatic things. Um, I haven't done it yet, but I'm, you know, I'm interested in doing the 40 years of Zen, um, you know, because they're doing, you know, intense alpha gamma training. So I'm curious about those types of things. Um, I'm really interested in um, the biomes of the world basically that people are starting to sequence the microbiome because of some early research or data on how like n- nobody, like none of this is into uh, causality yet, but just correlation. People who tend to be depressed tend to ha- also have a level of disturbance of their gut biome. Now, which causes which completely unknown, but I think there's some really interesting things that are there about how um, our guts and our DNA for our psychological well being. Um, I love things that stimulate the vagus nerve, um, especially like I found out to my surprise, like I didn't know this, that the, the female orgasm runs on the vagus nerve. It does not run up the spine. Um, it's fascinating. Um, one of the reasons why we love music in our earbuds is that there's a little tip of the vagus nerve is in the ears. And so when you're playing music, it's touching it, especially if it's got a little bit of a base. So there's all these things going back to, like, we know nothing. Jon Snow. Sorry, I just Mm -hmm. couldn't. I had to get that in there. Um, But we know nothing. There's, like, so many ways. Um, Also, like, I'm really interested in smart scent. Um, Not in, like, digital scent, but, um, you know, there's there's a couple of people who are working on things where, you know, say you're driving home, um, and, um, you've may, maybe you've hooked everything up to your phone. You've had a stressful day at work. You can, you know, you have a, a smart scent distributor that, you know, let's say it's not using chemical it's using, you know, uh, it's using, um, organic lavender oil, but you walk in the house and your house smells like lavender you know, like, or you don't even have to say it, your ring, your watch knows that you're stressed. And when you come home, the house smells like lavender and the, you know, the, and that product already exists that could do that, uh, in terms of right now you have to tell it what to do and program it, but there isn't any reason why it can't be sort of more integrated. And, you know, the scent part of the brain is the oldest part of the brain. Um, and it's the one that's unmediated um and so you know that is like low hanging fruit right there for enhancing the well-being of humans and those products exist today you know one of the things i'm going to do like you know i i'm actually going to do a uh i think i'm going to basically do a tech version of a finder's course like here's like here's an overview go through these like just do all of these and find out which one really brings you a lot of well-being um, so I'll probably do something like that cause it's needed. So people can like get a sense of the categories. Um, but that's a really good example of something you can buy today. Um, you know, um, I'm really like, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to see a product on Thursday, uh, that, uh, has linked heart rate variability ve- to the sub pack. Um, do you know what the sub pack is?
0: Oh, with the subwoofer that you wear on your back?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody likes the way the bass feels when it's, like, moving, right? (laughs) As long as it doesn't mess your... As long as it doesn't bother your ears. Like, there isn't any one of us who hasn't been on the dance floor, and you feel the music, you know, and you're either with your friends, and it's fabulous, or maybe you're with someone that you kind of like, and it just becomes a completely different thing, and you can feel the bass, and it's really complementary to how you're feeling. So it's, like, you know, to have a little tiny subwoofer that's on your back and not, you know, going to cause you early deafness, um, is a really interesting kind of thing. And so what these people have done is they have, um, connected, um, the subwoofer to a heart rate variability. Um, so when you're moving into stress, you start to get, that's like gentle stimulus on your back. I, I'm so excited about it. It, And one of the reasons why I'm seeing them is that, um, I've been looking for the product. I know exactly what they're doing because like even them just saying, as soon as someone said, Hey, do you want to meet these people? I was like, I want to meet these people because you just knowing what they're putting together. I know exactly what they're doing. And, and I, you know, it's something that I've wanted. I've been looking for this product, um, and for what it represents. Uh, And that's also something that can be purchased today. They're focusing on people with PTSD. Um, So, you know, there's all sorts of awesome things. Oh, something you can get today. There's all sorts of baby monitors that um, you record the heartbeat of the mother. And it's like a little thing. So when the kid starts, like, you know, when they get a little bit upset, there's like a a speaker in the crib that starts to... um, I've seen two kinds. One, it's a speaker in the crib, or I've seen one that it's like the whole crib itself is a little bit, it's like a little subpack, <laughs> the whole thing. But the beat is the beat of the heart of the mother. Like I just think about that. You spent nine months in that environment totally. where, you know, your mother's heart pace more than anything. And if you want to bring comfort to a child, like, that, like, hands down, we, like, that works. You can do that today. Um, and that's an example, like, it doesn't require, like, uploading ourselves to a computer, like, we can do that stuff right now.
0: It's incredible, all these technologies that people are, that inventors, really, creators are coming up with. And that's one of the powers of, of this human being is our ability to create, thanks to our opposable thumbs and Large forebrains, we get to be able to come up with all these incredible um, technologies and 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 invent them in our minds before they're actually manifested. So that's a great list. We covered we covered a lot. I was taking notes, um, so I'm just going to recap. We have the the glasses from Muse or Interaxon, which is the EEG guys. Um, who I actually met Ariel, uh, before they were launching at a, at an event. Anyway, um, and we have the environment in the house. So our first, second, third, and fourth environments, um, which is interesting. I hadn't heard, uh, environments referred to as that, but it makes sense. Like, where do we spend our time and let's classify and rank them. Uh, and then the, um, so Iris is doing really interesting things with emotional recognition, um, and you mentioned um an inventor who's doing uh, emotional recognition without uh, biometric devices um could you say his name again
1: oh you uh you're you're hanging a little bit did you just i think you were asking about the guy at MIT yeah. his name is Mingzer Po
0: Mingzer Po right so he's doing really interesting things and then the the aura ring uh, we have um, for which is a sleep tracker, and biomes, the microbiome and the genetics and the causality or interface between emotional wellness and the microbiome. Uh, the vagus nerve, which is just uh, either a place of extreme pleasure or extreme discomfort, uh, potentially. <laughs> so working with the vagus nerve, not as in Las Vegas nerve, but the, (laughs) um, uh, and the smart sense. So our olfactory system, uh, our smelling capacity bypasses the, um, a lot of the neural processing and goes deeper into our older uh, brain, which is kind of a more direct path to stimulating emotions or triggering, um, triggering memories. The, and then the um, I have here a, a tech version of your product, uh, which is potentially enabling people to go through a sequence of discovery of uh, different modalities for calming and stilling the mind, which then can enable clear thinking and perception and connection. So that... Well,
1: uh- I mean, like, actually, it would be, like, technology for, like, all the stuff that we talked about before, Uh but it would be, like, it would be a, a, um, it would be a tech gauntlet that people could run through for, you know, physical, mental, emotional, but... Like a lab,
0: somebody can jump into and try different stuff out and see what works.
1: Yeah, or stuff you could, you know, I mean, I I, I haven't really thought it through yet, but um, it would be you know all of the all of the major modalities need someone to create a survey Mm -hmm. uh, experience that is distributed online and whatever Um, and it might not be or at least a survey guide because like everybody's like wandering around trying a bunch of stuff and you know it's like very it's a very inefficient use of time
0: it is and and it's I'm a I'm a data-driven person myself. I, I enjoy the randomness and the chaos. And part of the... Hu- human mind loves predictability. You know, we love to, to find patterns, I believe. It's like, for me, anyway, my, my own personal... My personality loves to find patterns and rhythm and structure and make sense out of chaos. It's like, it's just so much fun. And so, as I'm thinking about all these technologies and about the human condition... Uh, in this culture specifically if I narrow it down to the American culture because that's a limited variable, um, still pretty broad, but how what are the common denominators that potentially can have a really positive impact on human well being, which is of itself a difficult thing to classify, human well being, but what what are the the common some of the most powerful modalities like your technologies trying to address this question I believe is what are some of the most powerful technologies that work for people and since people are varied you're going to have different applications of technology that work for the different people Mm. there there seem to be meditations popular for a reason right like and the breath is like a gate is a gateway into Mm. the human emotion mind connection which is like is a really old technology um, been around for a long time uh, since uh, plants evolved as far as I know and animals <laughs> this respiration so as an example what are some of the other common denominators you know, there's, there's breath their brainwave states are measurable when, when someone gets into a state of theta uh, or gamma then they tend to have more relaxed state of being what are what are some of the other kind of if not modalities of achieving these states of relaxation how can we um, what are some of the, the states of mm, measurable um, measurable mm. states of relaxation and health
1: um, you know I I don't <laughs> And it's a hard question to answer because it kind of, I think you actually answered the question. Um, You actually, you did a great job at answering that question. You kind of, you know, covered a lot of the stuff that's, you know, that's measurable. I mean, the things that you can measure, if if someone really wants to know what can be measured, um, a great thing to do would be to uh, roll around in the videos from 2016 at the conference, because what we did, you know, the way that we have evolved the, the thinking or the way that I try to move the conversation forward every year. So the first year it was like, oh, here's this space. The second year was what can you measure and where is the state of that measurement? So year two, um, and how is that being productized? So year two, all the videos are a researcher, a scientist who is an expert in a modality. So heart rate variability, galvanic skin response, EEG, um, the ways that the ways that you can measure psychological state through a biosignal. So, so we have scientist, researcher who talked about that, and then partnered with them, or in close proximity to their talk, was an entrepreneur who had productized that. And one of the things that I'm really proud of for our community is I feel like we're really, you know, we're we're pre-competitive. And my point of view is that people in our community sh- like like i don't believe that there's going to be one eeg device to rule them all you know like this is not lord of the rings right there's going to be many different things for many different type of people and so what we should be doing is we should be growing the market we should be growing the pie because if you look at if you look at a couple of macro things which includes the rise of exponential technology human development on still a linear curve, a linear line. We still do it the old fashioned way. And that gap between the skills that people need in order to adapt and thrive in this new world and how we teach those skills, that gap is huge. And then if you, you know, I'm a huge fan of Homo Deus and and Yuval Harari, I think is brilliant. He says that the next human agenda is going to be happiness, longevity, and augmentation. And I believe that he's right because that, those three things come to the forefront, whether or not we have Starfleet or Hunger Games. We're just going to be spending more time in our heads because there's less to do because of software. So with that, um, there is the number, the products and the companies to fill that gap. And the, and the sustainable businesses with products and so hardware and software that really, truly help humans fill that gap. Those are needed. And so what was really beautiful about our conference and our community is that our people are not, um, are not hoarding their knowledge. Like the second year, these guys got on stage and they were like, we tried to productize this. This is all the ways that it was hard, you know, that someone doesn't have to recreate the same. It doesn't have to have the same pain points in like figuring it out. And so for anyone who's really interested in like what are the ways to do it, if you go to the 2016 videos and roll around in that and watch them all, by the end of it, you will know the absolute current state of the of the discipline.
0: Though it is a year ago. For our listeners, what's the website for transtech?
1: Okay, it's www.ttconf.org. So transtechconf.org, ttconf.org. And we just put up the videos from 2017. And 2017 was about how does this matter in life? Like how does it actually show up? So like, you know, one of my favorite talks, uh, I mean, I love them all, but one of my favorite talks was Mary Lou Jepsen, who I have a complete crush on, (laughs) like, like, like she's so mind blowing. I think she's so amazing. Um, but you know, she's miniaturizing fMRI, which will revolutionize healthcare. Um, and the stuff that she's, she's increasing the resolution on an fMRI and miniaturizing it. And this is the woman who played a core role in miniaturizing or, or taking the cost out of laptops. She was on the hundred dollar laptop 15 years ago, got it down to a hundred dollars when laptops cost $10,000. So, you know, I would never bet against Mary Lou. That's like a bad, that's like, that's betting against Mary Lou is like going into a, you know, if you play video games, it's like going into a dungeon without a healer. It's just stupid, you know, like she's just amazing. And so, but the side effect of being able to, Miniaturized fMRI, one of the things that will come out of it, in addition to revolutionizing healthcare, um, is um, the ability for me to think a thing and then to airdrop it to you. And what's really interesting about that, if you think about that, like right now, we don't really teach visualization. Like if you're in certain communities and if you're on a spiritual path, you might learn visualization. But in a future where it is actually tangible for me to like, you know, think about how I think, think about a business idea or a product and to want to send it to you in the clearest way possible. You actually have this future where visualization becomes a core skill set for navigating that future so that I can communicate more clearly to you because I can you know, send you really clear images. And, you know, and then it all goes, you know, everything loops together. It's like the mandala as a meditation device is essentially taking a picture with the mind, holding the image in the mind until it dissolves, then reestablishing the picture. It's a concentration training, but it also, you also get really good at establishing those pictures. So here we have an example of a technology Then this goes back to the middle part of the conversation about using technology to amplify other things than you know social competition. So you have a technology that one will improve our abilities of concentration, you know, in this world of where everyone's talking about distraction. People will be incented to do it, and it will so it so it'll improve your ability to visualize. Guess what? If you can visualize an image of how a product should look, your ability to visualize, um, you know, in the way that visualization is used in motivation and goal setting and, you know, even law of attraction for people who are into that. Um, all these things that have, have been considered airy fairy, you know, or Tony Robbinsy. I like Tony Robbins, by the way, but all of these things that people discredit in the wider world will become the essential skills for success. And that is like, you know, so that's why I think we have a chance. We have a chance because of things like that. Mary Lou is only one representation of a very wide field of people moving in this place. So I guess if I were to say to any of your, um, any of your listeners who not only use products, but have the skills and abilities to build them, or not only, you know, are in companies, but have the skills and abilities to build companies. It's like, get in the game. Because don't choose in this future. Like you, it's like like everyone who... Like the, the Starfleet versus Hunger Games, it's like the force, right? Like, you know, what side of the force are you on? Where are you going? You don't get to default on this because all of humanity is at stake.
0: You have a lot of passion and I love it. I love your passion. <laughs> I love your enthusiasm about this. You're so motivating for... For for me, I mean, I just want to like go start a new S corp like tomorrow. Like I'm I'm just you know, get in the game. I I love your your um, terminology and your passion for this. It's so wonderful. It really comes across in the way. <laughs> uh, Thank you. i found that in my experience as a salesperson and business development guy, that one of the um, things that salespeople can do is they translate. They're kinda of, they're translators. I think that you're a really good translator of this technology that's coming out of uh kind of counterculture, you know, in a lot of ways. Um even though it's blended with, you know, tech and, and kinda of in Silicon Valley, a lot of the people who are coming up with this culture, you know, you wouldn't see them suited up in a conference room unless they have to and then they're still got long hair and it's tucked, you know, pulled back. But but a lot of these people are are revolutionaries. And that in order for a paradigm shift to really occur in a fairly conservative society where people are still clinging to their beliefs of what's real and for example in the healthcare environment that um let's say we want to get a large hospital like a Kaiser or an HMO mm-hmm. or you know, some, somebody who can, some organization that has a lot of leverage to have just a huge impact on a lot of people, similar to the auto industry, you know, it's a point of leverage. Um, What are some of the, um, or what do you think it's going to take to penetrate like traditional healthcare systems or providers and penetrate might not be the right word, but you know, help them understand the value of this. It's going to need to be data-driven, science-based. Um, there's going to have to be some sort of, you know, white papers, et cetera. And then clinical trials. B- beyond that, like, it, does it again, have to save them money fundamentally? Like, for example, mm-hmm. um, meditation. A friend of mine has an, an application in Stanford Hospital to reduce... Uh, pain and anxiety in children using the breath-based um, virtual reality meditation. Chris Smith, I don't know if you know him, but he's great. Mm. So He's great. Yeah, and so like that's a perfect example. They got white papers and they're coming out and they're seeing clinical data. And so we're going to need more of those. You said broaden the pie earlier. We're going to just need is it going to take more of those and what are the what are the are they going to be economic drivers? The... Yeah.
1: Well, the, those people are showing up and then I, I want to and I'll tell you about what that is and what it takes for people to get in there. But one thing that I want to put out really in the beginning is that there's a lot of people who conflate uh, making money as a person with uh, making money as a company. I think it's good for companies to make money. And the reason why I think it's good is because, one, it shows that they've got part, product market fit. That they're actually serving someone, because there's a difference between, you know, sort of like a Lucy goosey oh, that's great, and someone actually putting their money down for it. So I think, you know, in the again, looking at being able to fill the gap between how human development is done today and you know the need that we have, we need real companies that can stand the test of time and that can actually like fill in. They'll, they'll be the, the 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 companies that. Um, will address the, the, the Homo Deus future that's coming. And so one, so if you can sell your product to people and they give you money for it, it means that you found product market fit. Two, if you can sell your product to enough people that you can hire people, then that means that you have a sustainable business where you can employ the people of good heart so that they can support their families send their kids, you know, support their families, whether they live in Silicon Valley or Boulder or wherever they live, you know, like people, there's so many people who want to work in this sector, but they have obligations, they have mortgages. And so we have to build the companies that can pay these people so that they can transition and give their, you know, and put their talents on building the sector. So that's the 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 you know the first thing I would say because a lot of the people counter people, you know the they they have a they have an allergy to making money, like they feel like it's a bad thing. I think it's a great thing because I think it means you built a company, that that will be sustainable. Um, so, that's so
0: that's that's one aspect of it from the creator side. How about from the the buyer side? What kind of um, motivation or insights mm-hmm. or
1: Yeah, so the second part is that, you know, this year, marked what was interesting about this year is that there are three things that happen. One, focus capital showed up. So these are people who say, I want to fund trans tech. So that before there were people who were interested and, you know, around the world, there's like onesie twosies in, you know, accelerator batches here and there focused on trans tech. Um, but it was like, you know, one thing in a portfolio, this is the first year that people have showed up, uh, saying trans tech, uh, in a sizable amount. I mean, actually, uh, um, uh, jazz was before, but they, they have a medical layer that they want. Um, but just, so this is the first year of focus capital on trans tech, joy tech, neural wellness. Um, not necessarily with a medical error. Second thing that showed up were uh, it's the beginning of like the AAA professionals from like the services. So, you know, you're a good example of a AAA professional from business development and sales. Um, there's a, a group that is, you know, developing in the UK um, where they're all um, people who worked at, you know, Sachi and Sachi, WPP, like the people who know how to tell the stories, are now interested in in moving people towards products that don't just address their wants, but address their needs. Bo Shao describes this perfectly in the difference between uh, wants and needs. It's like, you know, want is the difference between sugar and nutrition, sex and connection. And so it's okay to fill someone's wants, but is the product actually designed to also fill their need? And so the people, you know, everything is telling stories. And so now that the AAA storytellers are showing up in the field, wanting to contribute their talent to telling these stories, you know, that is just one example. Um, And then the third part is the um, big HR, which uh, is, you know, these are the, the, the large company HR systems because some of the most innovative people in the space, which if you had told me this like three years ago, I wouldn't have known it was possible, but because healthcare costs are accelerating in across the board, because in the U S the, you know, the, our healthcare is such a, you know, a monumental cluster, um, that the private healthcare systems, that serve the corporations. They are not interested in staying in the sick care business. They want to be in the healthcare business because their incentives are they want you at work. They want you to be healthy so that you are at work. So you are working. They want you to be healthy so that you are engaged or have the ability to engage. They want your kids to be healthy because if your kids are sick, then you're stressed and you're not at work. So, yes, they're completely focused on making money and reducing cost. But what that means is they are also paying for prevention. And I have to look more into it, but I just met a guy who runs, who's an innovation lead in a healthcare system on the East Coast, a private, you know, one of these types of companies. And they are doing a pilot right now where they pay doctors to keep you healthy. So, the whole system right now pays doctors to give you tests or penalizes doctors for giving you tests that are preventative. And so they're turning it on the head that it's like they, they, they have a, a, a way that they're, you know, the, the doctor in the private healthcare system, the healthier their batch is, the more money that doctor makes. So these people are like doubling down on prevention. Because of it. So it's aligning incentives. I am totally okay with that incentive structure uh, for those companies to do what they're doing because they want to lower their cost and keep you at work. It's totally okay. They're so innovative in what they're doing. Um, And those models, if that pilot goes well and they are able to show a dramatic decrease in their cost um, and the level of care, value based care which is what the foundations are starting to fund, then that means that the whole system might change. And, oh, and then to answer your question, there's a couple of things. Like if someone has the hope to serve a large healthcare system, they need to be able to do things like um, they have to be able to handle the privacy requirements. You know, like um, I have a friend who who runs like, um, you know, you have to be able to, Like, for example, if you serve Google, you have to have, they don't allow employee data to be on servers other than their own. So if you have a big, if you want to have a giant contract with Google, you have to be able to put all your software on their servers. You know, and that's just like, you've got to be ready to, you have to be able, there's, it's like if, you know, like companies who want to sell to Walmart, there's like a couple of things you have to do. So there's some things like that that you have to do um, that you would have to do even if you were there, you know, if you were their accounting
0: software. Yeah. So enter- enterprise class uh, software services and um, I, call, I call them speed bumps when I was selling enterprise software. And, and what's fascinating about speed bumps is that the bigger they are, the bigger the hurdles are to get into a large company established means that the harder it is for another competitor to come in and do the same thing. So as a company, it's, those are really sticky, uh, sales. Um, so I heard three things, which I really love. I I love how sharp your mind is. You really break these things down into, for me, really clear, uh, an articulate understanding of what, what needs to happen. One, I heard that the creators and the providers, um, need to start building companies and not be afraid of making money in the process because making money is fuel for them to grow their ideas and serve and acquire talent that's both heart-based and highly capable uh, of contributing to their value structure the second is that uh, as the um, economics are as the ec- economy around uh, TransTech is growing you've got focused capital coming in you have uh triple a players uh, which thank you, you, you said I was one. thank you. I'll take that compliment um and then you've got people um filling both the want and the need, so not just sugar but um something that's palatable and nutritious, so actually meeting a long term sustainable um market need then the third is um is helping the human resources departments. And the companies, effectively, because companies are just people, um, grow their understanding of of what it means to be to manage wellness, to manage health, rather than to manage sickness. So, thinking a little further upstream and putting in uh, programs which incentivize um, whoever the providers are to keep uh, um, to keep their employees um, productive effectively mm-hmm. health with which is sustainably productive a lot of companies in the in the early days of corporate America were um, were families they were large families in the around the industrial Revolution I, you, you kind of your company man was the term and they had incentives to keep their employees uh, longer term and healthy and now the turnaround rate is like two years three years for a lot of employees so keeping those employees, uh, and that balance of like retention and keeping employees happy um is gonna be an interesting one um as mm-hmm. as companies grow and become more distributed and um, tele- telemedicine is something that i I worked on really early in my career um uh, fascinating that it's sort of circling around again um so I like this paying doctors to keep you healthy, and of course, there needs to be some sort of a an audit system and Checking system, etc. So one, two, three. I like I like that providers, creators, focused capital and economic um, incentives, and then the uh, corporate structure and and just dollars and cents for keeping their employees happy and healthy. Um, I tell a little story about one of my just it's it's funny as a as a professional in the ad business which is I went into the ad business and I was always amazed at how the, the the value chain in the ad business works like this let's say I'm a large advertiser Procter & Gamble or whatever Ford Automotive I'm gonna go and I have this pile of money let's say it's uh, I don't know one to two percent of my gross earnings for a given year that's my advertising budget now I'm gonna then because it's hard for me to actually spend all that money in-house and buy ads and build a team I'm gonna go hire an agency to spend all this money so the agency gets paid on spending the money the agency doesn't often doesn't get paid on by on actually selling more product so what's fascinating is there's a break in the value chain there, where a, a an advertiser will give a chunk of money, and the incentive structure for the provider isn't mm-hmm. to sell more product. The incentive structure is to spend the money. So then mm-hmm. you get all these ad networks and in the digital realm, ad networks and people selling ads who are going to the advertiser to the to excuse me to the agency. And they're saying, uh, "We know you have to spend this money, especially in Q4. Otherwise, you don't get a renewed contract." Right. And so it's just a broken value chain, similar to in the healthcare system for for companies, where the uh, the healthcare providers are often, um, "How quickly can I get this person out of my office?" So can I give them a, I can write them a prescription, they're gone in 15 minutes. And actually, I think it was Kaiser had a, or I don't know if it was Kaiser specifically, but one of these large HMOs actually had doctors a maximum visit time of 15 minutes. And I talked to some providers, some doctors who were like, you know, this doesn't work for me. I couldn't work for them because I... Some patients are five minutes, and some patients are thirty minutes, and I can't be limited to servicing these people by the clock. Um, so anyway, mm. that's a little bit of a tangent. I loved how um, you answered my question so clearly. What does it take to to penetrate these traditional healthcare providers with transformational technology, and who is giving them the tools for for that change? Mm. Yeah. Thank you very much, Nicole, for joining me today, and I'm excited to continue our conversation in the future. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me, and everybody, if you are thinking about starting something and you just haven't done it yet, just go ahead and start.
0: What a powerful motivator Nicole is. I so enjoyed our conversation, and definitely check out her talks on Uh, YouTube. She's got a ton of content posted on her website, ttconf.org. And yeah, maybe even reach out to her if you're interested. I know that she's a busy person, but she's super willing to help highly motivated people. Until the next time, stay healthy.